I have a question for you. What are you doing to support women to leadership positions in your organisation? From all of the work I have done with both individuals and organisations, I have compiled my learnings on this issue in my new guide, 15 Ways to Support Women in Leadership. You can download it for free at happieratwork.ie forward slash resources. The guide addresses not only the individual responsibility of us as women looking to get to those leadership positions, but also the challenge of creating a supportive environment. A reminder of that address, happieratwork.ie forward slash resources. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. Through a combination of solo episodes and interviews with some incredible guests, we bring you the insights and practical tips to create happier working environments for you and your teams. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or a colleague and leaving a rating or review on your favorite platform. A little bit of courage to take a small step forward. And that in turn develops the confidence that you need to keep going. And as you take more and more small steps forward, what happens is that you create this feeling of momentum. And once you've got that feeling of momentum behind you, you just want to continue taking more and more action steps. And that bias towards action is the biggest differentiator between those who experience exponential levels of success and those who watch from the sidelines and wish they could be there. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I have a real treat for you today. I'm joined by award-winning coach, international speaker, best-selling author from the Penguin book, Energize, Simon Alexander Ong. Now, myself and Simon have been connected on Facebook for a number of years now, and he really stood out to me because he's the kind of person you really notice and kind of really makes you take notice. He is the person who, one of the only people who would have left me a voice note on Messenger, say, for example. So he really, really stood out to me all those years ago. He is having an amazing impact on the world. Like I said, he's an international speaker. He spoke recently at Work Human in San Diego. He has spoken in Dubai. He travels all around the world speaking at conferences as well as organizations. We talk about lots of different things relating to happiness at work. We talk about things like values and how we define success. We talk about creating a vision for our future and what that might look like. We talk about behaviors and how we show up. We talk as well about vulnerability. As always, at the end of today's episode, I will be doing a synopsis of some of the key points that we covered. Do get involved in the conversation on social media. You'll find all of my social links at happieratwork.ie and I'm looking forward to hearing from you about today's episode. Simon, welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I feel such an honour to have you as my guest today. We have been connected, I'd say for a few years now on Facebook. I don't even remember how we first connected. But one thing that stood out for me, Simon, on my birthday, you were one of the only people, I think, to send a voice note through Messenger. So I just I feel like it's such an honor to have you. And I could just see how you're living your values all the time as well. Do you want to tell people a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, my background is I was born here in the United Kingdom to two Malaysian Chinese parents who had emigrated here for a better life. And when I grew up, I had this mistaken belief that success was 
defined by my job title. So be a banker, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an accountant. And so when I finished secondary school, I started at the London School of Economics. I studied economics. And when I graduated, it was the middle of 2007, which was probably the worst possible time to begin a career in the financial services industry. To make things a little more interesting, the first company that I joined with was Lehman Brothers, which collapsed 14 months after I joined. So talk about a volatile start to your to your first career. This was as, as volatile as you could get. Now, it was admittedly painful at the time, as it is for anybody who has gone through redundancy or restructuring or even seeing your company collapse. But in hindsight, it was a beautiful blessing in disguise because it kickstarted the journey to where I am today. I started to ask myself, what did success mean to me? And what sort of impact did I want to have in the world? Those two questions, even though they are simple in terms of how they come across, they are actually very important questions. Firstly, many of us are exhausted, not because we are doing too much, but because we're doing too little of the things that bring us joy and often running someone else's race. And that's why it is so important to understand what does success mean for ourselves. The second question about what sort of impact that I want to have in the world, that's an important question because our value as a human is determined by how much more we have given to the world than we have taken from it. So I remember writing down all of the ideas and insights that came to my head on a blank sheet of paper. And then I started to circle the items, words, and sentences that stood out to me. And I just got exploring. I got exploring my curiosities. Now, I deliberately mentioned exploring my curiosities rather than purpose because at the time, I, I simply did not know what my purpose was. You know, a lot of us use the excuse that I'm not going to begin until I know what my purpose is. Instead of focusing on my purpose, I just started with what I was most curious about. And that led me to the world of coaching. While I was balancing a nine to five job, I was in and out of the financial services industry. I was moving from job to job because it was very difficult to keep down a role for more than a few years. I enrolled with, with a company called the Coaching Academy and I signed up for two of their programs. And within a couple of years, I had these coaching qualifications. And I started to coach anybody and everyone that wanted to be coached to build my experience. And from there, I got invitations to speak at different companies and conferences. And then I had exposure in the media through interviews on Sky News and the BBC, all the way to April 2020, where I landed a book deal with Penguin to write my first book, Energize. And so I'd gone on this journey from being in the corporate world to quitting that, embarking on the entrepreneurial path and building multiple businesses around what I was most passionate about. Brilliant. Absolutely love that. And it's such an inspirational story, I think. And I'm sure there's so many people who can relate. I'd love to pick up on a couple of things you said there about purpose. And people kind of almost using this idea of I haven't found my purpose or I'm not going to start until I find what my purpose is. Using that as an excuse not to get started changing the way things are. And this is something that I've spoken about a lot recently, this concept of purpose. And I love how you articulate it. Sometimes it becomes a, a barrier to us because we haven't 
just because we don't know what that purpose is, we feel like we can't do something different or we can't we're waiting almost for for inspiration to hit us rather than exactly as you described, explore the things that you're interested in, that you're curious mm. about. It's it's true. I mean, you don't wake up one morning and know what you want to do for the rest of your life unless you are starring in a, in a Hollywood film. The reality is we get given clues. We have insights. We have inspirations. And the onus is on us to explore them, to see where they may lead. I mean, I know this because when I was in the financial industry, I spent most of my day working alongside colleagues in finance. After work, I would go drinking with people in finance. On the weekends, I would spend time with people in finance. And so I very quickly became aware of the fact that I was living in a bit of a bubble and that that was the only world that I knew. And so, of course, I didn't know what my purpose was because I never explored anything out of it. And so the easiest way to discover what we are meant to do is to just explore things outside of the ordinary, to expose our mind to new ideas and insights, to look at people doing things that bring them joy and try and understand how they got there. What were the things they did that helped them discover what brings them alive? And the more I did that by going to workshops, seminars, talking to people who had experienced some sort of success in their own lives or their careers, opened my mind to potential avenues that I then started to read about, watch videos about, and research to understand if it was for me. How would you define success? And again, this is something I've talked about recently, where going back to your earlier point of success kind of means I'm a doctor, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Or something mm. like that. It's always these external factors. And it's ingrained in us as a society. I think this is what the perception is. You have a big house, you have a fancy car, you have a nice job title. All of these things are the average view of what people mm. perceive success to be. So do you want to talk to us a little bit more about that journey that you took and, and what you define as success? Sure. So you're right. For me... When I was at the beginning of my career, success was very much defined by career virtues, which are things such as my job title, how much I earn, the company I work for, the brand I work for. And those things are great to have on your CV and to show off to other people. But actually, what I quickly learned is that success really is about legacy virtues, the story you've written, the lives that you've impacted, what you've given to the world. It is actually the legacy virtues that people talk about when we pass from this world so for me as i grew older and and wiser i started to understand that success was all about progress and living a life that is aligned to our values and what is most important now again this will be different for each of us for some people success could simply be being a great parent success could be having a sufficient income that you can do all the things that you didn't think you could do before. It could be different for each of us. And that's why the longest journey that we as humans take are the inches from our heads to our hearts. Never an easy journey, but the most important that we will ever take. Because as we get to know ourselves at a deeper level, we get to really understand what is most important. And that's why, as the popular saying goes, you cannot have self-development without self-awareness. You've got to know who you are, what you stand for, what is most important for you before 
or you know what action to take. Otherwise, you can take lots of actions, but you end up running in circles without making actual progress. And so that, for me, is success. It's living a life aligned to your values. It's living a life where you get to do the things that bring you joy and where you can progress forward each day. And it's why often when I get asked, Simon, what are the goals that you have? Of course, I've got a vision of where I would like to be, but I'm not attached to it. Because as long as I'm focused on just this one goal, which is to be better than who I was yesterday, all the rewards I seek, they will naturally come in their own time. I'm not attached to when or how. I simply trust that if I focus on the process, if I focus on improving myself to be a little bit better than who I was yesterday, everything will naturally flow from there. I love that. Coming back to to this idea of what success is, and it's living in alignment with your values. And something that sprung to mind for me is thinking about how you'll be remembered. So if you're talking about mm. your legacy virtues, it's how you're remembered. And that doesn't even have to mean how you'll be remembered after you die, yeah. but how would you be remembered by the impact that you have on other yeah. people? What stories would they tell about you when you're not when you're not there, you know? So how do you want to be thought of? That's kind of what springs yeah. to mind in relation to that. Values is something that I talk a lot, especially in a, in a career context, in yeah. in relationship to how we show up at work, what behaviors we observe in people at work, and what companies say their values are versus what they really are. Any thoughts around? Well, values is interesting because a lot of people would say to me, "Value sounds great, Simon. You know, living life aligned with my values is great, but how do I know what my values are? How do I know?" what is most important i haven't had the chance to really reflect on that and an exercise i get them to do which i think will be useful for anybody who hasn't hasn't got the clarity on what their values are is to write down the names of seven people dead or alive that inspire you so they could be well-known thought leaders they could be people only known to you uh, they could be celebrities, they could be people in the public eye, whoever they are, write down seven names, dead or alive, of people that inspire you. And then next to those names, write down why do they inspire you? What are the qualities they demonstrate that inspire you? So it could be brilliant communicators. It could be the impact they've had through the work that they do. Just jot down some bullet points next to each name on what is it specifically they do or embrace that inspire you. Once you've got that down on paper, that starts to show you what you value. Because what you value in them is important to you. That's why you're inspired by them. So when you put that down onto paper, you should then ask yourself, how much of this am I embracing in my own life? So I'm kind of thinking of what you're saying and and, and looking at people out there who inspire you, but maybe it's bringing it back to organization. Is there anyone in your organization who you feel inspired or is it the opposite? And therefore, you know, maybe that, that's cause for concern. And mm. earlier conversation I had in, in relation to values themselves was this idea. It's one thing to have values. It's another thing to communicate what those values are. And it's another thing, again, to actually be in an environment where those values are actively and I'm talking in the organizational context. So I'd love to hear your views on supplying that same concept in an organization and any experiences that you've had that kind of gone against that. Definitely. Well, well, first of all, the reason why values are important in an organization 
It's because unless you are clear on what they are, you will end up hiring the wrong people. You, know, you can hire someone because they have a great skill set or they've got they've got a great background. But if you're not clear on what the values are of your organization, they might come in and bring with them a toxic culture. Yes, They absolutely. might bring toxicity into the environment. And what happens is you hire all these people just because of the skill set they have, but you haven't tested if they match the values of your organization. And very quickly, you have to end up firing them because they're they're sabotaging your progress. However, when you are clear on the values of your organization, you can test for that in the questions that you ask in an interview. Because you ask any company, they will often say from experience that it is far better to hire for values and teach them the skills they need than to hire for skills with someone who lacks the values that they desire. And so I think that's where it begins, is getting clear on what values your organization holds dear. And then it's embrace it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing to tell your teams and your employees, this is what we stand for, Mm -hmm. but you don't embody it. It, it, It's like when you raise a child as a parent, your child often won't do what you tell it to do, but it will follow your actions. Yes. And it's the same thing with leadership. Yeah. So when you tell your employees to do this or to do that, and you yourself don't embrace that principle or value, that action or inaction communicates far more powerfully. 100% agree. One example that we had, for example, on last week's podcast episode was the idea of policy in place where no mobile phones in a meeting mm. and everyone's kind of sticking to the rule. And along comes the CEO, the CEO pulls out his or her phone in the meeting and is checking it, but no one is speaking up because it's the CEO. You don't want to go mm. against that, goes against the values, but it also sends the message to other people, either we're creating an mm. us and them culture. If you're at senior enough level, it's okay to check your phone during a meeting, or it's showing to everyone they can take their phone out in meetings. And just because there's a policy in place, no one's actually following it. Yeah, it's interesting because when you look at studies done into what makes for effective teams, what you quickly discover is that one of the most common characteristics is that of shared vulnerability. When everyone can share and be vulnerable at the same time, what happens is you actually get more done. You know, one of the interesting studies was into the world of sports. If you have a sports team where there are two star players, and they get preferential treatment and are seen to be different from everyone else, that team finds it far harder to succeed in the long term. Whereas if you have a team where there are no egos or star players, but where everybody is treated equally and they approach things as a team, they can share in the wins and the losses and they can be vulnerable with one another. What happens is that team actually does really well over the long term, far better than the other teams that rely on one or two star players. In the world of football, they looked at a team like Germany. Why has Germany consistently done well going back decades in international football tournaments? Well, it's because when you look at the way the team plays, they literally play as a team. There's there's no star player. There's goals that come from across the team. Whereas when you have, and the ones that came up with teams like Portugal or England or Spain, where you're relying on one or two key players, so much so that they influence how the teams show up because they're treated differently 
And so I think we've got to look at the culture and dynamic of people within a team to really see how we can shift that to one that works more as a unit rather than the silos. I love that. And I can totally understand the football analogy. And I was just thinking, couldn't name someone mm. <laughs> in particular <laughs> to say, you know, this is the star player and someone's always passing it to them so that they can go and score. And I suppose just putting that into a work context, and there's so many relations, I think, between what happens in sport, especially on the psychology side of things, and happens in business. And I think there's a lot to be learned in that. But I do love this idea that there's no there's no stars, there's no ego, but it's about each person individually brings as their strengths. And yeah. each person is required to do their job in order to work as a team effectively, bringing that sense of vulnerability or psychological safety. So it's okay to speak, it's okay to yeah. say, to challenge the status quo, it's okay to... I love playing devil's advocate. You know, mm. well, what if this isn't the right answer? Can we maybe have a think about something else just to challenge how, how we're actually doing things? Absolutely right. It's all about behaviors of the people. I think having shared values can connect people in such a powerful way. Mm. Mm. When I was doing my research for my master's, this was a key area of focus. Another core thing came from that that I didn't kind of study in further detail. But it was part of that same thing. It was this idea of shared goals. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important to know what direction you're heading, so collectively you can be able to prioritize. You can you can think about well, what is the most important thing here when we take mm-hmm. the, the bigger picture of what the organization is trying to achieve. Definitely, and and this is why I think vulnerability is so important. And one of the things I often say to companies is that vulnerability does not make you any less of a leader. It simply makes you more human. And in today's world, people crave that. You know, we crave connection. And vulnerability is the gateway drug to connection. And so when a leader says to the employees, I need help, or can you offer insights on this challenge we have? You're showing that you're human. You're showing that you don't know it all and you want to be alongside your employees to figure it out together. Going back to what you said just now about shared goals. And referencing sport one more time, because another story comes to my mind, is that when you do face a challenge, you share in the learning together. Not saying it's all your fault, but actually I've got something wrong as well. I have to take some responsibility for this as well, which is difficult to say in a moment when you're in the position of a leader. But actually, the value and impact that has is profound. When Manchester United last September, so September 2022, lost a match 3-0 against Brentford, the manager called the players back on the weekend, which they would have had off with their families. He called them back and said, I want you to run the distance that you did not run compared to the other team. So the gap in distance, I want you to run to make that up because I didn't see you working hard enough. Now, the first response from the players was like, well, why are we doing this? Why have we just been called in and being punished to run that when I could be spending my Sunday with my family? But what shocked them was when they came to the training ground, their manager was also dressed in sports gear to run the miles with them. Mm. And that changed the respect they had for the manager. The manager wasn't standing there telling them they've got to run this distance. He was there alongside them, despite his age, running the same distance. We failed. We are going to work through this together. Mm. How often do we see that in business? (laughs) <laughs> dare i say i'm not sure how often we see that at all 
But I love that. And and something else that sprung to my mind when you're talking about leaders being vulnerable and asking for help is it's a degree of humility, but it's also showing mm. the employees that they feel valued as well because you're seeking out their opinion. And since mm. often they are the ones who are closest to the cold face, they are the ones mm. who are doing the bulk of the work if they're facing clients, they're probably much closer to solving hmm. anyway. So yeah, I mean, any kind of additional thoughts around this this topic of values before we move on? Yeah, I think one other thing to keep in mind is that when we think about an organization, especially those in leadership positions, we talk about the customer experience. You know, how are we going to deliver better service to our clients? How are we going to win more business for our company? But what we forget is that when you are at the top of a hierarchy in a company, your actual first customer is your employees. Now, if you manage that employee experience well, they will look after your clients and customers. Because when they're happy and they have a higher level of energy that they bring to their job, guess what? The way they connect and the way they communicate to your clients is going to be vastly different. And so your first customer is your employee. Absolutely, 100%. I have a quote on my LinkedIn, just at my profile, from Richard Branson, actually. He says, look after your employees and they'll look after your Mm. customers. So you need to put your employees first as a leader because they're the ones who are actually looking after your employees. Mm. And I saw another interesting post this morning and on LinkedIn talking about stakeholders and how employees should be... Mm -hmm include in that and it's not just our stakeholders are the shareholders or the leaders or the customers the stakeholders need to include employee and the experience mm. that they have the work as well that, that was an interesting perspective and starting to see a huge shift in how we talk work and, mm. and how we value employees work as well and i think the companies that don't value employees they're going to quickly see you know high levels of turnover when people start realizing there's there is more they can go somewhere where they feel valued definitely definitely absolutely i'd love simon last few minutes to talk about your book i have a copy of your book here <laughs> my signed copy of your book so anyone who is not watching so i do put these onto youtube as anyone who's watching on or sorry anyone who's listening to this on audio you won't see a picture of the guide but we will put links to it in show notes below i suppose i'd love to hear about the journey of that what prompted you to write the book and what are some of the key lessons that people can take from it sure so the reason i wrote energize and and just to give a bit of background for the listeners is that when i put the book proposal forward the working title was actually energy is everything and then through the editing process we we condensed that to energize Mm -hmm. and the reason i wanted to write that was twofold Firstly, I had gone on this journey where I was at a point where I had no energy from a physical, a mental, an emotional, and a spiritual perspective. When I left Lehman Brothers after the collapse of the company, I moved into a hedge fund, which on the outside was very glamorous. You you know, Simon's working in a hedge fund, but the reality is it was far from that. Mm. I was very junior. I was working long hours. I got burnt out, a story that I share in in the first chapter of the book, where it really impacted my health. And I was directionless because this career that I had imagined would make me successful was now a career people didn't want to be a part of. The public had gone from seeing 
bankers as these very intelligent people to people that caused this crisis. And so with that came a different perception of the career that I'd now embarked on. And so to have gone from there to where I am today, where I wake up every morning filled with possibility, inspired by things that I can achieve, excited by the unknown and being comfortable with the uncomfortable, I wanted to share how I transitioned from one to the other. And with that came a focus on energy within four dimensions, the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. The physical was the first thing that I started to address. And the physical are things such as your sleep, your movement, and your nutrition. Now, if you get that right, you give yourself a good base level of energy. But that's not the only factor to consider. Mm. Most of us will only focus on that and wonder why we're still exhausted. And that's because we still have the other three dimensions. Mm. Mental energy is your ability to focus, to access your creativity, and tap into a more resilient mindset. Your emotional energy is how you relate to yourself, how you relate to others, and how you deal when things don't always turn out the way you would like. And then spiritual energy is all about meaning and purpose. You may have good physical energy, but if you're doing work that drains and exhausts you and goes against your values, you're still going to feel exhausted and drained. So that's the first reason. The second reason behind writing the book Energize is whenever I would come down from stage after giving a talk to an audience, I would have a number of people come to me and say, Simon, I loved your energy on that stage. You know, if I only had a small percentage of the energy you have, I could go on and accomplish so much with my life. And so I wanted to speak to that as well. How did I get to a point where I was able to create that transfer of energy between myself and the audience mm. to inspire, to empower and to energize so they can go on to do the same? So those were the two reasons uh, that compelled me to write the book. Now, what's inside the book? What can you expect? Well, the way I put the book together was to divide it into four parts, which in essence was the journey that I took. The first part of the book is awaken. How do we awaken that energetic power within us? The second part of the book is then about rewire. How do we rewire the way we see our reality and how we show up in the world? The third part is about protecting your energy. And the fourth part is about supercharge, which is all about supercharging your legacy. Remember what I shared earlier about career virtues and legacy virtues. It's now bringing us to a point of thinking about our future, thinking about the story we want to write so that we can supercharge ourselves in the present moment. I think it's it's so nice because it comes from a place of, like you were saying, you were working in a job from the outside mm. was perceived as really glamorous, but from the mm. inside. And I think oftentimes, going back to what we were talking about earlier in relation to success, mm. we have these definitions in our head of what success will look like. Working for a prestigious, for example, getting a high salary, working in a particular industry, and other people think, well, Simon, you're amazing, you're doing From the inside, you're like, how did I get here? This does not feel good to me. And I'm, I feel exhausted all the time and I'm burning out and, and all of these things. Yeah. So it's, I think it's really refreshing to hear honesty from someone as well. And having courage to make that change, because I see so many people who say that they're not happy in the situation that they find themselves in, but they're actually not doing anything about yeah. it. And again, to your earlier point, I wonder, is that to do with like, well, I haven't found my purpose or I have no idea what it is I want to do. So I'm moved from a situation I'm unhappy because I don't know what the next move actually is. 
but then to to that stage and I'd love to explore because I, I would imagine sometimes people have perception and people sometimes would say this to me as well. You think you have everything together because right. you have it all figured out. But do you want to like talk to us about the reality? Like it's hard to implement all yeah. of this stuff all of the time. It, it is hard. I mean, the reality is you're always going to have challenges. Whatever stage of the journey you're at, you're always going to have challenges, whether mm-hmm. you just started the company or you're you're in a senior management position or you've just started a business or you're scaling a business you're always going to have challenges challenges are a part of life mm. uh, especially when you embark on a path you have never been on before now what we come to learn just as i have is that those things do not matter nearly as much as how we choose to respond to them our response is what makes us it's what determines how far we go in life now you're going to face challenges big and small every single day But ultimately, the way to make the progress you want and not to let them defeat you is to focus on what you can control, however small. And there is always something that you can control. What actually happens is that many of us focus on the things we cannot control. And when you spend too much time and energy focused on the things that you cannot control, you become paralyzed by overthinking and you can't help but feel more negative and powerless. But when you focus on the things that you can control, you become empowered and energized to take action. And sometimes all it requires is a little bit of courage, a little bit of courage to take a small step forward. And that in turn develops the confidence that you need to keep going. And as you take more and more small steps forward, what happens is that you create this feeling of momentum. And once you've got that feeling of momentum behind you, You just want to continue taking more and more action steps. And that bias towards action is the biggest differentiator between those who experience exponential levels of success and those who watch from the sidelines and wish they could be there. This idea, it's about taking a small step forward. I think oftentimes we believe that we need to feel confident and feel motivated before taking action. But actually, it's the other way around. By taking Mm. small action steps, builds that confidence, it builds that momentum, and we don't have to rely on motivation if we've committed to mm. t- taking action in the first place. And I love this idea that bias towards action is a differentiator between someone who, from the outside, has this success versus someone who is looking on from the sideline thinking, mm. I wish I was like Simon. Okay, so what's stopping you? Because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to encourage people to think, what is stopping them? Again, this idea that what what we can control versus what we can't control. And and I can't remember, you know, to quote the author of this, the kind of circle of control, the circle of mm. influence, and the circle that's basically beyond, completely beyond mm. our control. So there are some things in life that we can control, mostly within ourselves, and there's some things that we can influence outside of that. But we shouldn't expect to be able to control everything, certainly as, as control freak at times. <laughs> I can absolutely relate to that, you know. We do like to be able to control things and especially people, dare I say, that we like to control other people's behavior, but we can't. Mm -hmm. And I love this, what you said, like paralyzed by overthinking, like thinking that people are thinking about us, which is something we cannot control. Mm -hmm. And I think especially when we make changes, you know, if we proceed to be in this successful position, we start to make some small changes or we leave our job. I several jobs over the years i was told that's a permanent pensionable job why are you leaving a permanent pensionable Mm. job 
it's this perception that people have of us that we need to to kind of catch that I suppose as well I love the idea that it's a journey and I imagine with a journey if there's never a destination it's a continuous journey Mm. you know and you might be at different stages of that journey and this idea that we have a choice so we need to choose how to respond so it's about having that choice and sometimes people believe they don't have a choice Mm. and it's like we always have a choice in how we respond to the situations that we find ourselves in. So absolutely love that. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before the conversation? Yeah, just two things to emphasize what you've beautifully summarized there. Uh, One is this overthinking. It's an experience that so many of us go through every single day. We end up thinking about our thinking about our thinking that we end up taking no action. And if we total up the number of hours we spend overthinking just imagine if we were to shift those hours towards taking action imagine where you could be a year from now and this idea of choice even not choosing is a choice you've chosen not to make a decision and so you've got to be conscious of the fact that your choices are either going to lead you to where you want to be or they're going to lead you further away from where you want to be and that's why it's so important to understand who you want to be first. And now when I talk about who you want to be, I'm thinking about identity. What is your identity? Now, if you don't know what your identity is, then of course, you don't know the best route to take today. But once you work back from who you want to be, you can begin to embrace those behaviors now. And when I talk about behaviors, it's powerful because actually behaviors, your behavior is one of the things that is immediately in your control. You can't change somebody else's behavior immediately but you can certainly change your behavior. In fact, if you want to make progress, whether it's in your career, whether it's in your life or any other area where you have goals for yourself, one of the quickest ways is not by adding more, but it's by stopping the behaviors that are stopping you from making the progress you want, that are sabotaging your journey. Look at the behaviors that you are embracing now and ask yourself, are they really helping me? Or are they sabotaging where I want to be? Something else that sprung to mind in relation to behavior is behavior is kind of the outward. And then inwardly, there's the in- the intention that we mm-hmm. have. And I think sometimes we confuse our intention with our actual behavior. So behavior is how we're showing up in the world and what we're doing versus yeah. how sometimes we perceive we are when the two might necessarily be related Mm, definitely definitely (laughs) simon thank you so much for your time the question i ask everyone who comes on the podcast what does being happier at work mean to you well thank you so much for having me on what does being happier work mean for me happier at work means being in an environment where you feel supported trusted and appreciated where you can share your ideas in a safe space. You can show up as your full human self and where you find joy in the work that you do. That for me is what happier work looks like. If people want to reach out, if they want to connect with you, if they want to find out more about you, what you do, and also not forgetting if they want to find out more about your book, Energize, what's the best way they can do that? Sure. So the best way to purchase a copy of Energize is to go to getenergizedbook.com. That is energized with a Z. On social media, I'm on all the platforms, but the two that I use most often are LinkedIn. You can search Simon Alexander Ong and click on the person. 
And then on Instagram, the handle is at Simon Alexander O. Brilliant. Yeah, they're the two that I use most frequently <laughs> as well. It's funny, isn't it? Like one is for fun and behind the scenes and the other is a little bit more professional. <laughs> Simon, absolutely love the conversation today. Thank you absolutely so much for your time. Thank you. That was Simon Alexander Ong, and I really hope you feel energized after that discussion. I absolutely loved having that chat with Simon. So many things to take away and implement straight away, hopefully for you. Now, before I summarize some of the key points that we talked about, I wanted to remind you to get involved in the conversation. Both myself and Simon are more active on Instagram and LinkedIn than, than other platforms. So do feel free to share your thoughts, ask any questions on those platforms. Now, in terms of summarizing the key points, I loved what Simon had to say. What does success mean to me? And it's thinking about the impact that you want to have on the world. He talked about people being so exhausted these days because they spend too little time on the things that bring us joy. So we're spending too little time of the things that actually really light us up. I love this idea of purpose. And sometimes purpose is the thing that blocks us from doing what we really want because we feel like we have to have everything figured out. And if we don't have everything figured out, then we couldn't possibly make a change. And it's something that's getting in the way. Simon explained the difference between career virtues and legacy virtues. So career virtues being the company, the salary, the title, but then legacy virtues are the lives that you've impacted and how you've given back to the world. And something that sprung to mind for me was this idea of how you will be rem remembered. But that's not necessarily remembered after you die. It's remembered for the impact that you've had on someone, even when you're still alive. We talked about success as making progress towards what it is that you want in life and living in alignment with your values. We talked about having a vision, but not necessarily being attached to that vision. And after we stopped recording, I drilled into this a little bit more with Simon. And we talked about some people are so attached to the outcome and they're deferring their happiness. So if they have a specific goal, they're deferring their happiness until they achieve that goal. But if you can detach yourself from the outcome and expect that it's going to happen, but you don't necessarily have to put a timeline on it, you just take action towards the direction that you want to move in. And then everything seems to, to work out. And we also talked about how to find out what your values are if you don't know them. And Simon has a slightly different approach to what I've heard before. And he said, write down the names of seven people that inspire you. And I have that word inspire underlined because maybe it takes a little bit additional thought to think about who really inspires you. It's not just someone who's really popular. It's someone who you aspire to be like. And Think about why they inspire you. What are the qualities or the behaviors that they are showing up with? And that will, that will bring to light the qualities and the behaviors that you admire and that you would like to have more of in your life. We also talked about values in the context of hiring and how bringing people with a lack of alignment with the values of the organization can bring toxicity with it. And that person ends up leaving. It costs the company a lot of money as well when that happens. It's something I talk an awful lot about. It's the work I do with my clients around values and making sure that they're hiring the best person for that role and the right person for that role, not necessarily the best person ever that's out there. 
we talked about the behaviours of effective teams and how shared vulnerability means that we get more done. So everyone is important. There's no ego. There's no star players. It's the sum of all of the parts. On the concept of vulnerability then, asking for help. So simply asking for help and you're showing your humanity, but you're also making other people feel valued because you value their input into your situation. It also brings the sense that we're all in this together. Simon also shared about his book. So it talks about the physical, the mental, the emotional and spiritual sides of energy. And it's broken down into the parts of awaken, rewire, which is having a look at your reality and how you understand your reality, then protecting your energy, how do you protect that and then supercharge. So that's about the legacy that you would like to leave. He talked about that it's all a journey and it's about how we choose to respond to those setbacks. So we always have a choice in how we would like to respond. We talked about this idea of control. So what is it that's within our control versus out of our control? When we try and control things that are out of our control, it results in a negative spiral. We can feel really powerless and paralyzed by overthinking. Courage then is about taking a small step forward. And through that, we build confidence, we build momentum. And he said the main difference between people who are seen as being really successful versus those who are on the sidelines is the bias towards action. Are you actually doing something about the situation you find yourself in? Or are you stuck in a trap of overthinking, thinking about thinking? He also mentioned that not choosing is a choice and that's something to remember. So if you're not choosing, if you're deliberately deciding not to make a choice in this situation, that is also a choice that you're making. We get to decide who we want to be. And from that sense of identity, that's where we can start taking action towards the person we would like to be. What kind of person? How would I like to show up? And our behavior is in our control. And it's about stopping those behaviors that stop our progress. Thinking about the behaviors that we're currently engaged in, is it helping or is it sabotaging us? Is it bringing us towards what it is that we want? So that's it from this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed this session as much as I did. Comment on social media. You'll find everything you need at happieratwork.ie. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. And if you've made it this far, well done you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to today's episode. If you did enjoy it, please consider leaving a rating, a review or share it with a friend. I would love for you to get involved in the conversation. And also, if you'd like to know more about how I can help you or your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.